All right. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, that uh, everything you've done is so we could know that you're with us everywhere we go. We just thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus so we could see that you were with us, that you poured out your Holy Spirit so we could know that you're with us. Just thank you, Lord, that your spirit worked in people's hearts, giving them eyes to see you there, giving them eyes to see your hand stretched forth towards them, serving them with life. Thank you, Father, that we know that when we pray according to your will, according to the name of Jesus, that we have whatsoever things we pray. And we know that your will is that we see you and that we see that you see us. And we thank you, Father, that you work that and bring that forth in us um, today and forevermore. And for everybody that listens to this message, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. So last week we, we started looking at Romans chapter 6 and we looked at verse 11 through 13. And um, we wanted to bring out the relational aspect that is there. Because I think we lose sight of the relational aspect the moment we hear, let not sin reign in your mortal body, and all these kinds of things. It's like, whoop, out the window goes, the Father is here, and we have no concept anymore that that's got a deeply relational aspect to what's being said, and we just start thinking about what we need to do. But the context of those verses in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 11 and 13, is the Spirit putting our flesh to rest. And the way the Spirit putting our flesh to rest and quickening our mortal bodies is by showing us or leading us to the place where we cry out Abba, right? Which means you don't cry out Abba unless you see Abba there. And so the way sin doesn't reign in your mortal body and the way your mortal body can be quickened by the Spirit is for the Spirit to show and tell you with God. Right where the spirit to show up and show you God there with you, where you see the father's hand stretched forth towards you. You see the father with you to serve you with life. And because you see the father doth work, you see the father there working. What happens is, is your heart cries out, Abba. That's the context of those verses. And we read those verses and we completely lose sight of the context. We lose sight of Paul continuing to talk and then going into Romans 8, where he says the spirit leads us to the place where we do what? Cry out, Abba. And how the Spirit mortifies the deeds of the body. Well, how does the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body? The Spirit mortifies the deeds of the body by showing you the Father there to serve you with the life that you know you were made for. And when you see the Father there with you to serve you with the life that your heart says is just, because we all have an idea in our hearts about what a just life is. And we all have a knowing in our heart when we encounter a life that we say is unjust. And when you're in the place of seeing what's happening or what you're experiencing is unjust, and you're in the place of wanting the life that is just, listen, man, if you see the Father there to serve you with the life that is just, what will happen is, is your flesh will be mortified. Your members will be mortified, and your mortal body won't become a, uh, a pod. You won't be like a pod person for sin and death. A receptacle, that's probably not the right word. Yeah, you know, the movie, the pod, the, like a horror movie from way back. That movie freaked me out when I was a little kid. I still remember that. I was like, oh, no, that's scary. I must have been like eight or something. You know, you're always sneaking stuff that your parents don't know you're doing, right? Especially when they say, don't watch that. You're like, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then you're having nightmares because you, you watched it anyway and you knew you shouldn't have watched it. But those verses, the context of those verses are deeply relational and talking about uh, the Father. It, it all, they all center around the Spirit leading you to the place where you see the Father with you. And so just to recap a little bit, sin gets it right to reign in our lives by producing death and tribulation in the earth. That's how it gets it right to reign in our lives. And what happens is, as we encounter the trauma Because we're in a world where there's sin and death, sin uses that trauma to try to convince us that God is not with us, that God is not near us, that he is not filled with goodness towards us, that he is not caring for our life, that he is not giving us what we need to have life. That's what sin is in your life trying to do. And in fact, when I look back to the earliest trauma in my life that I could actually remember, it came because something traumatic happened in my life and 
the enemy was able to convince me this trauma was a sign God ain't there. And before that happened, I was one of these little dudes that was fully persuaded God was there. I had like a little Jewish, or a little Jewish, a little Jesus. Uh, I had a little Jesus picture, and I'd stick it in my shoe. And I walked around with that thing in my shoe, and I honestly believe God was with me. That's why I had that thing in my shoe. And because I had that thing in my shoe, I felt like, what? I felt like a supernatural umph inside of me. And the reason why I had it in my shoe was because I was a runner. But I was a little bitty boy, and we would tow the line to run like half miles, miles. And we'd tow the line, and the gun would go off, and you'd think you pace yourself because you're six years old, you're eight years old, and it's a mile, it's a long race. Not me. The gun would go off, and it's a sprint. And I would sprint the whole way. And I would run everybody into the ground except for me. And next thing you know, I'm lapping the other people. Now, I didn't think it was me which is why I could do it. I was convinced God was with me. And because God was with me, there was a strength in me that couldn't be overcome. And so whenever I felt pain, see the rest of the kids, when they felt pain, they'd slow down. Because they'd be thinking this pain is a sign I don't have the strength, I need to go faster. Not me. When I felt the pain, I was like, let's go. Let's see who can hurt. And it was never me. It was, I, it was because I thought, I really believed God was with me. I really did. I believed he was upholding me. I, would, I believed he was the one running. And so I believed nothing could stop me. And then one day I got injured in a race. And you'd think it would just be that I got injured in a race. But that's not all that it was. To me, it meant, and what the voice I started hearing was that God isn't with you. This trauma is a sign that God isn't with you. Because this happened to you, it means God isn't with you. And listen, there's some, there was some compelling evidence. Yeah, how could this happen if God's here? That's one of the ways sin gets it right, to reign in, in your mortal body. And that's, that is how sin gets it right. It, it wants to convince you God ain't there at all, right? But if it can't get it right to convince you God isn't there at all, what it's then going to try to do is convince you that God is like an abusive father, right? It'll try to blind you to the presence of the Father. That he might be there with you, but he's not there filled with goodness in his heart. He's not there to serve you with the comfort that you need, the life that you need, the peace that you need, the joy that you need, the love that you need. He's not, with you, he's not there with you to do that, right? And so if it can't convince you God isn't there, that his presence isn't there at all, it'll then convince you that God is an abusive father. It'll paint God in the image of an abusive father. And the reason why it wants to paint God in the image of an abusive father is so that you cower away from him in your heart and in your life. So in the midst of the trauma, in the midst of encountering the trauma that sin produced, not God, but sin produced, in the midst of encountering that, it either tells you God ain't there, the presence of the Father ain't with you to give you the comfort you need, or that he's an abusive father. He's got his hand in the trauma that's happened to you. He's either the cause of it or he let it happen to you. And the reason why it does that to you is so that you cower away from God in your heart and in your life, and you start trying to self-soothe, self-soothe. You try to soothe yourself instead of crying out Abba. Instead of looking to his open hand, seeing that his hand is open towards you and that he has the comfort you need right there in it. Instead of seeing him stretch forth towards you when you're hurting. If I would have seen God in that moment when I got injured and I would have saw his hand stretch forth towards me and holding me and telling me it's good, you okay? That would have changed my whole life. And I'm not living from some regret place. I still see God now. You never stop. You never stop working. He can't be discouraged. <laughs> right? I mean, my mom's life is the same deal. I mean, you hear her talk about the abuse. They didn't just abuse her, and they didn't just abuse the animals and the other kids in her presence. But you know, when they did that, do you know what they told her? God doesn't care. God isn't here. He's left you all alone. That's how sin gets it right to reign in our mortal bodies. It convinces us. The trauma, the death, the tribulation, it's on account of God not being with you. Or it's on account of his hand. 
That's how it gets it right to reign in our mortal bodies. And so what happens is, just so we understand this dynamic, what happens is if we don't have eyes to see God with us, loving us, pouring himself out for us, serving us with life, serving us with the peace and the comfort and the joy that we know we were made for, because we know that's what we should have. And when we don't have it, that's when our nakedness is being uncovered, so to speak. We actually feel ashamed of not feeling peace. We can't describe what it is we feel, but when we don't feel peace, we actually even feel ashamed of that. Like something's wrong with me because I don't feel peace. And what happens is if you don't see God with you there, loving your life, emptying himself, pouring himself out for you, laying down his own life at the feet of the death of the cross so that he could say, peace, be still. If you don't see God there doing that with you, listen, what happens is, is you're going to end up enlisting your own members. You're going to end up enlisting your own strength to try to gather the life you say is just to yourself. That's what will end up happening to you. That's how sin will get it right to produce its fruit in us. Right? When you enlist your own members, that's the fornication. Well, now your intimacy is with your own strength to try to produce life instead of your intimacy being with God and his strength and life coming forth from that intimacy, right? It's like you go a-whoring after other gods, the gods you can make with your own hands or the fruit you can gather to yourself with your own hands. That's how sin is able to produce its fruit in us. That's what it looks like for sin to reign in our mortal bodies, right? That whole dynamic. Paul said it this way, that the body is dead because of sin. The body is dead because of sin. Well, listen, if we try to produce the fruit of life, and if we try to produce the peace and the love and the joy that we need, and we try to produce those things through the body that's dead, do you know what we're going to bring forth? The fruit of death. I mean, you guys understand horticulture, agriculture, right? I mean, you plow a ground, you have seed in the ground, and whatever seed is in the ground, that's the kind of fruit that's going to come forth from it. Well, because of one man, Adam, the seed of death got it right to manifest in these bodies. These bodies are like soil. They're dust bodies. They come from the earth. And so Adam's seed of death got it right to be manifested in these bodies. And so this soil has death, a seed of death in it. And if I try to plow this hand, I try to sow this hand to try to bring forth life because there's death in there, do you know what I'm bringing forth? The works of the flesh, the fruit of death. That's how sin gets it right, to reign in our mortal bodies. It subjects us to its death. It tries to lord it over us by producing the works of the flesh in our lives. And that's how it does it, right? Does that make sense? Is that a long enough recap from last week? Is that a long enough recap? Okay, good. So we'll read those verses again because I should have read them before I went into all of that, but I did not. Romans chapter 6, verse 11, 12 and 13. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Honestly, if you don't sit in, in with God with the scriptures, let's, I'll just be honest, I don't care what people think anymore. That sounds like blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah. That sounds like a word salad, a word soup. And you know what we all walk away hearing? You better be a good boy or girl and not a bad boy or girl. That's what we walk away thinking out of that word salad, <laughs> right? That word soup. You better be a good boy and you better not be a bad boy. That's the extent of what we walk out of it, right? But what Paul says in those verses is a deeply profound thing, what he says there. He says that sin loses its power in our lives. It loses its power to reign in our lives and to produce its fruit in our lives through us seeing we're alive to God. That's what he says. Through us seeing we're alive to God. Now, being alive to God is the opposite of being dead to God. You ever heard that cliche, you're dead to me? Now, when somebody says you're dead to me, what does that mean to us? 
Yeah, they don't want nothing to do with you. Okay, so we were busy living as if God said to us, you're dead to me. And because that's how we were living, sin was getting it right to take us captive to trying to produce the life we say is just, the peace we say we were made for. And that, because we were looking to our own strength, that produced the fruit of death. Paul says sin loses its power to take you captive. The dot dynamic is when you see that you're alive to God. He says when you see that you're alive to God, if you see God is with you to raise you up out of the death you're experiencing, what will happen is, is instead of yielding yourselves unto sin, instead of being taken captive by sin, what will happen is you'll yield yourselves unto God, you'll yield your members unto God, and God will produce his fruit in you. That's what it means, right? So what does it mean to be alive to God? Because we get into these theological phrases and we say them all the time, you're alive to God, brother. I mean, listen, people would say that to me all the day. I'm like, what does that mean? Because I need more than Christian cliches. We know the cliches. We don't know what none of these things mean. And so when Paul's talking about being alive to God, alive from the dead, you know how you're alive from the dead? It's because you see God was there raising you up out of the dead. You see, God was with you in the person of Jesus Christ, condemning death in the body of his resurrection. And so you see God with you to raise you up out of the grave. And so then your heart cries out, Abba, into your hands I commit my life. Alive to God just means that your sight's been healed. Alive to God just means that you see God with you. It means you see the Father's face shining on you. That's what it means to be alive to God. And so what happens is, is when you see the Father's face always shining upon you, when you encounter the trauma and the tribulation and the death that sin got right to put in the earth, in the midst of that trauma shining, like they told my mom, they might as well told her, God has forsaken you, where's your God now? But because God showed up in the person of Jesus, when the serpent was standing in the earth telling all of humanity, where's your God now? Let him come for you if he'll have you. God was in Christ conquering death in his body. <laughs> Shutting the mouth of the accuser. Shining his face upon us right in the place where the devil was saying, Look at the trauma, look at the death, look at the tribulation. Where's God now? So that's what it is to be alive to God. Your sight's been healed. When you encounter trauma, when you encounter tribulation, when the world presses in upon you, you're no longer sitting with this idea that God's not there. But rather, you're sitting with a different idea. You see his face shines down upon you. And because you see his face shining down upon you in the midst of the trauma, what happens is, is you don't look to your dying body to try to produce life. You're not yielding unto sin and the word that sin spoke to you, telling you God's not there. But rather what's happening now is you're presenting your members to God. You're yielding unto God. You're giving your life over into the arms of God because in that trauma, you see his face shining on you. You see him there with you. And out of your heart comes these words, Abba, into your hands I commit my desire for peace. Into your hands I commit my desire for love, for joy. And what happens out of that intimacy is abundance comes forth. If you read the psalmist in Psalm 22, when you read the scriptures, the psalmist, Psalm 22, the psalmist talking to God. You notice how he's in the midst of all that trauma, right? I mean, you can read the first part, all the stuff that's happened to that dude. I mean, it's some trauma. Well, if you read what the psalmist says, we're talking about what it means to be alive to God. The psalmist, in the midst of all that, knew they were alive to God. And so in the midst of the trauma, sin was trying to reign in their mortal body. And it was trying to convince them, this trauma is a sign you don't have a father. It's a sign you don't have anyone that cares about your life. It's a sign that you don't have anyone to pamper you with the peace and the comfort and the love and the joy you need. But the psalmist says something magnificent. The psalmist says, you do not abhor the affliction of the afflicted one. Neither is your face hid from them, but you hear them when they cry out to you. That's what it means to be alive to God. That's what it means to be alive to God. You have eyes to see God with you, not despising you because of the affliction that sin brought upon you. You see God's face isn't hid from you. You see God isn't rejecting you because of sin. You see God is with you to comfort you from your affliction and to serve you with his life. That's what it means to be alive to God. 
that in the face of the contradiction, as the Apostle Paul would say, because Paul keeps talking in Romans 8, and what does he say? Whether peril, whether sword, whether famine, whether shipwreck, whether death, whether life, he goes into all the trauma that sin brought forth in the earth, and he comes to the place where he's now alive to God because he saw God condemn death in the body of Jesus. And so now something in his heart, in the place of all those things happening to him, in the place of him being receiving 40 lashes two times, he had eyes to see God with him, even in the place of his flesh being tormented, and he saw nothing can separate me from the love of God. He was alive to God. He had eyes to see God with him. What does it mean that nothing can separate you from the love of God? It's not just some nice feeling that it's talking about. Like we think of love, like a nice feeling. What it means is because God loves you, he come to serve you with life. And neither peril or sword can keep him from serving you or producing life in you. You have eyes to see God with you. And out of that place, that's what Paul would talk about when he says the spirit intercedes in your heart. With words that cannot be uttered. What words is the Spirit interceding in your heart that can't be uttered out loud when you're in the midst of trauma? He does not abhor the affliction of the afflicted one. Neither is his face hid from me. But he hears me when I cry out for him. When I cry out to him looking for comfort, I know that he hears me. He hears me. That means he comforts me. Nothing can separate me. You're alive to God. And now you're yielded unto God. It just means that you've been persuaded that this guy can do you no harm. And that this trauma you're experiencing hasn't come by his hand being towards you or away from you. That's not what it is, but his hand is actually opened out, his palm is open towards you to grab you and to pull you out of the water, just like he pulled Peter out of the water. And because of that, you give yourself over into his arms. Your heart is no longer hardened to this guy. And it's because you see he'll only ever be good to you. And so in that place, you yield unto him. You give yourself over into his arms. Abba, into your hands I commit my life. Right? You don't do that if you don't see him. And we're in a natural world. And it's easy to look with natural eyes. And it's easy with our natural eyes to look at what we see and make a conclusion that he's not there with us. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. There was a funny meme about, do you need the Holy Spirit to get to heaven? And it was like, bro, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. So you can't see God on your own. And your eyes will all the time try to give you the testimony that sin brought into the earth because of the body that's dead and because of the death that's in this earth. And you need the Holy Spirit to intercede in your heart to give you eyes to see. Because in that place when you're experiencing trauma, you're either yielding unto the voice of sin or you're yielding unto the voice of the Father. And whichever voice is the one you're hearing the the loudest, you're giving yourself over into that. You're giving your life over into that. Either self-soothing or the God-soother. The soothing that comes from the hand of God. Right? That's what it means to yield yourself unto God. That's yielding yourself to God. It means you give yourself over into His arms And it's because you see he can only ever be good to you. It's when you yielding yourself to God, it's not like, well, I want to live for myself and I don't want to live for God, but by golly, I've been commanded to go ye. And so now I'm going to go have a ministry. That's not what it means to yield yourself unto God. Starting this church was not me yielding myself unto God. That's not what that was. This is the fruit that could come forth after I yielded myself unto God, meaning I saw his loving embrace. I saw his arms open, embracing me, and I became vulnerable with him, meaning my heart became soft to his goodness towards me. And I said, yes, here, here. I mean, that's how you get a woman to say I do. You get a woman to say I do by persuading her that there's no guile in your heart towards her, that there's no deceit or trickery, that you ain't trying to get something for her for yourself but that she's so, her life is so beautiful to you that you'd rather die than anything happen to her. And when she sees that in you, do you know what happens? She gives herself over into your arms. 
That's the same way that it works with God. But sin come to mar the image of God in our hearts, so our hearts become hardened to him, and we, it's like a woman that can't trust that dude. Nah, I can't trust that dude. He's scandalous. Nope. I see him. I see what he's doing. I can't trust him. That's what sin tries. We're the bride of Christ. We're described as a woman in the, in the spiritual sense, in the scriptures. And that's what sin come to do in the earth. That's what it does when it presents death and tribulation. It comes to convince us that, that God, you know what I'm saying? He's like a player. He's playing the field. He's got somebody on the side, someone in the back, someone in the front. He not really care about our life. He just cares what he can get out of us. If you think God cares about you because of what the ministry, even ministry is something that's, that can be good. If you think the reason he cares about your life is because of what he can get out of you, listen, you'll never find yourself yielded unto God. In fact, you'll find all the good things you say are good. You'll find yourself bringing forth those things for you being yielded unto sin. <laughs> you can even do ministry born from sin. Yielding yourself to God is when you see God's there in the place of affliction. And because you see him there and you see the goodness in his heart towards you, you look to him for the comfort that you need. And I'll, you guys know how I always like to take everything back to Jesus on the cross, right? And if, so if you want to uh, yielding yourself unto God with Jesus on the cross, yielding yourself to God looks like Jesus, Abba, into your hands, I commit my life. And why did he do that? Well, the Psalm 22 tells us why he did that. He said, he does not abhor the affliction of the afflicted one. He's not ashamed of my nakedness. He's not ashamed in the day he finds my bed having been made in death. Neither is his face hid from me, but he hears me when I cry out to him. Hebrews would come and say it this way, that Jesus looked to the one who could save him. That's yielding yourself unto God. That's what it looks like, right? That's what it looks like. You commit your life into his hands because you see this guy in his hand has the power to save you from the body of death and the fear that comes from the body of death. And so you're out with it into your hands, right? Romans 6.18 says, Being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. Notice how it says, you having been made free from sin. You set yourself free from sin? You used your willpower to be free from sin? No, you having been made free from sin, then became the servants of righteousness. Well, how did you get made free from sin? Well, we could say all these complicated things, and I can dissect all these things to try to prove to people their doctrine is garbage, but the easiest way you could say you were made free from sin is your blindness was healed. You didn't see God there, and now you do. You didn't see God could only ever be good to you, and now you do. And so you've now been made free from sin, and you become a servant to righteousness. Being made free from sin, having had your blindness healed, seeing God is with you, having raised you from the dead, never to be able to die again, you now became servants of righteousness. And what does it mean to be a servant of righteousness? What it means is, listen, you were taken captive by the love of God. You saw his righteousness towards you. And instead of thinking about how you need to be righteous, what you saw is that God is righteous. You saw the equitable deed and character in this guy's heart towards your life. And you became taken captive by his love. And you started living your life in this world, always beholding the work of the Father and the administration of his indestructible life over you. God's got an administration. And it's the administration of an indestructible life. And he come and established the administration of an indestructible life over you. And now you're a servant of righteousness. You're living all your days walking in the good work of God towards you. The word servant there, the main part is to be taken captive. We think of servant as if we're serving something. Really, a servant of righteousness is somebody that comfort chases down, that peace chases down, that love chases down, that joy chases them down. Because all those things are in the work of God and the Father and His love for us. And that's what a servant of righteousness is, right? The woman caught in the act of adultery. She was a slave to sin, wasn't she? Sin was reigning in her mortal body. She was under the power 
of sin. She was under the power of lusting after life. She was under the power of her flesh, lusting after life. That's where she was, wasn't she? Well, then what happened? Jesus showed up. And what was Jesus doing there? Healing her blindness. Showing her that those you think that you don't have a father to care for your life, to preserve your life, and so you've been fornicating with your own flesh trying to do those things for yourself. Jesus showed up to set her free from sin. The way he showed up to set her free from sin is here he is. He's the Father. The whole Gospel of John is Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 1 starts with the word that was made flesh is God. And he came to declare God. Well, this woman was a slave to sin. Sin was reigning in her mortal body. It was producing its fruit in her life because she thought she was an orphan in the earth. She thought that she didn't have a father that could care for her, that could comfort her. And so she was trying to gather comfort to herself. Sin was reigning in her mortal body. Jesus comes to make her free from sin and make her a servant to righteousness. And the way that he does that is he manifests the father there with her. You don't see the father? I know you don't see him. Let me show you. Oh, you made your bed in sin and death? I see that. Let me show you how the Father behaves towards someone when he finds them in sin and death. Your heart is hardened to God because you're not convinced he could only ever be good to you. Your heart is hardened to God and so you're not giving your life over into his arms. Your heart is hardened because you think that he looks at you and he abhors you in your affliction. You think his face is hid from you. Let me show you the Father right now so that I can soften your heart, so I can break it down and melt you with his love. And then he showed everyone the Father. He stood next to that woman as her advocate. And he removed the accusation against her. And he removed the sentence of death that was against her. And he justified her. You know, that happened in the temple. He cleansed the temple. He cleansed the temple of what? The accusation. He cleansed the temple of what? The false image of God that was being declared in that temple. Well, doesn't it say that we're the temple of the living God? And so there was the Father sprinkling our hearts with water to wash them pure, to remove from us a heart that was hardened to his love for us, and to give us a soft heart, a heart that saw that he could only ever be good to us, that he was always there with us, stretching forth his hand towards us to give us the comfort that we need. So that in that place, sin might not longer be able to reign over us because we could see God with us there to give us the life we need. And our hearts would cry out, Abba. Jesus showed that woman the Father so she could be set free from the reign of sin in her life and so that she could then become a servant of righteousness, a servant of God's righteousness towards her. Go and sin no more means go and no longer be blinded to the Father and how he's with you to only ever be good to you. That's what it means to go and sin no more. And if you keep reading in the Gospel of John, John, Jesus describes sin as what? Unbelief in the Father. So that woman was full of unbelief. Not that whether or not God existed, but that God was an abusive father and that God abhorred her because of her affliction. And he abhorred her because of the sin and death that was in her life, that he was ashamed of her nakedness. But then Jesus showed up and he comforted her from her nakedness by clothing upon her. How did he clothe upon her? Well, when you're filled with fear, guess what that is? Your nakedness being uncovered. Guess what happens when fear is removed from you? You're clothed upon. Your nakedness is no longer uncovered in your sight. That's what the scriptures talk about. It says Adam was filled with fear, right? His nakedness was uncovered and he was filled with fear. And so the nakedness in the scriptures is not just a literal thing. It's analogous of what we all experience when we feel fear when we feel shame, when we feel torment, when we feel uh, lack. That's what's happening in our hearts. Our nakedness is being uncovered. That's what was going on in that woman. If you read the scriptures and you read the outlines, it says she was thrown down naked. And how did Jesus clothe her? He removed the condemnation of death, the sentence of death that was reigning over. He shut the mouth of the accuser, right? And he showed that woman the Father. I mean, the ladies, the women, don't you want your husband or your boyfriend to stick up for you, to defend your name, to defend your honor? 
to always have your side? To think of you before they think of themselves? Isn't that what you want? And when, when you think you have that, what's that feel like? Feels real nice, huh? And in fact, it doesn't just feel real nice. We're describing these God dynamics, but you could see it in a relationship. If a woman really feels like she has that from a man, do you know what's coming out of her? She is emptying herself for that man. She is laying it all on the line for him. She is giving herself over into his arms. That's the same thing that Jesus did with the woman caught in the act of adultery. And he didn't come demanding she do anything. He came for show and tell. I can't get off this show and tell thing right now. He came for show and tell, right? What do you, what do you got to show? The father? I mean, many times when kids would come to school, you bring something from your father. I think for me, I brought something from NASA in kindergarten because my dad worked for NASA right? Show and tell. You're always thinking you want your show and tell to be cooler than everybody else's show and tell, right? Or maybe that was just me that made everything a competition. Because I thought if I could win every competition, then I would have a good report, right? But yeah, I come with my dad's NASA thing. Look at my dad made spaceship. What's your dad do? It's like that my dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> show and tell. Well, Jesus shows up. Show and tell. What do you got? My father? I come to show you my father because you got a heart of stone, not seeing that he's with you, not seeing he can only ever be good to you, not seeing he has in his hand stretched forth toward you the comfort, the love you need. I come to show you him so you can see his hand stretched forth towards you, so you can see the gift he has in his hand to give you is the comfort that you desire. So that you'll be set free from the reign that sin is exercising over your life, subjecting you unto its death. And you can now come under the reign of God's righteousness towards you, which is that he come and administered over your life an indestructible life. A life that's filled with a peace that passes understanding. A love that's not at the mercy of what people say or do to you. A, a joy that's not at the mercy of how things go with the government or with the world. You become a servant to righteousness now. Your mind becomes filled with God's righteousness towards you. The Father is with me. Abba. Jesus was a servant to righteousness on the cross. Abba. He saw the Father's righteousness towards him. He come under the power of God's righteousness towards his life. Do you know what that produced in him when that dynamic happened? Love, peace, joy. He even found himself loving the people, nailing them to a tree. Not because he said, I must be righteous. I must love the people nailing me to a tree. He was a servant of God's righteousness. He was under the reign of God's righteousness towards him. And because God is righteous to bring forth love in you, man love manifested in Jesus because he lived on this earth, even nailed to a tree, beholding the good work of the Father. I need to be clothed. I need comfort. I need peace. I need to be saved from this death. The Father is with me. The Father doth work. That mortified his members. It put his flesh to rest. And because he didn't look to the body that was dying to try to produce fruit, what happened was, is the spirit quickened his mortal body with a life that was full of immortality. The spirit quickened his mortal body with the love that was immortal, with the peace that was immortal, a peace that can't die. That's the peace that passes understanding. Not even the death in this world can kill the peace of God. But we look at the fruit that can come forth from God's righteousness, and then we turn being a servant of righteousness into all the things we're going to do. It doesn't say that you doth work. It says the Father doth work. And then you enter into his rest because inside of his work is contained a rest for you. But it's a dynamic thing that happens. You know, the Sabbath year in the Old Testament, they would let the land rest. Why would they let the land rest? So fruitfulness could abound the next six years. Guess what? Your body was made from the dust of the ground. And what do you think happens when this dust enters into the rest of God? The Spirit now begins producing its fruit. The seed that is the Christ becomes planted in your soil. <laughs> it's like, well, the seed of death may have gotten in this mortal body, but I still got a heart, man, and God got it right to get the seed of his Christ in my heart. And the seed of his Christ is so strong that it even puts my dust body to rest. The year of the Sabbath is now manifested in my body. I've entered God's rest, and now I've become exceedingly fruitful.
Does that make any sense? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to try and rush through the rest of it, sorry. Otherwise, it'll take me three or four weeks to get through this one message. This one message. One message this is supposed to be. Lordy, Lordy. Look who's 40. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Doesn't say condemn Jesus, doesn't say condemn people. It says condemn sin. Condemn sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's a whole lot of terms up in there that we, for so long in my own life, I didn't know what these individual phrases meant, and it would junk up the whole rendering of these verses. For One of the terms, for instance, is that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in me. I always looked at the righteousness of the law according to the flesh instead of according to the heart. Right, And I never saw that the righteousness of the law speaks of something going on in the heart, not something that manifests out of the flesh necessarily. And so what Paul is saying there is God condemned sin in the flesh. That word sin there is a noun. It's not a verb. So it's not like in our common terminology, bad behavior. God condemned bad behavior. Let's just be honest. That's what we read there, right? When we read God condemned sin in the flesh. That's what I always read. That I always read, well, I've been a bad boy, and now God come in to condemn my bad behavior. As if if you behaved good, that could have produced life. Your good behavior can't produce life. And if God's after you living, yeah, he'd rather you be filled with peace and love and joy instead of murdering and thieving and gossiping and backbiting, but it's because he cares about you enjoying life. So God's busy trying to condemn death. And that's what it means to condemn sin in the flesh. That, it's a noun. It means he condemned death in the flesh. Paul says in Romans 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is what? Death. So those two words are synonymous. Sin, death. It's like an algebra equation. Sin equals death. So you could just as easily change those things. So Paul says God condemned death in the flesh, and he condemned death in the flesh when he raised Jesus from the dead, never to be able to die again. Now, he ties that into this very interesting statement. Because in the grace circles, we're like, the law is the devil. And the law was always telling us bad things. Because we're always looking at the law after the letter, even in the grace. We still never saw the Spirit. But Paul says something magnificent. He says, God condemned death in the flesh when he raised Jesus from the dead, never to die again, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in you. Who walk not after the Spirit, or who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. Well, that's mind-boggling. So what's the righteousness of the law that he's talking about there? When you look at the righteousness of the law, if you go and read Deuteronomy, which is the words of the law, which is what that means in Hebrew, or the logic of the law, do you know what the righteousness of the law is? That you would have one God, the Lord your God, and you would have no other gods. That something would come forth in you where instead of looking all around you for peace and comfort and love and joy, every time you found yourself needing peace and love and comfort and joy, you would say, there's one guy who has the comfort that I need. There's one guy who could serve me with the peace that I need. There's one guy that can give me a life that can't die. Abba! And so walking after the Spirit. What is the Spirit? We, need, we read the word Spirit and we don't take into our rendering what the ministry of the Spirit even is. Well, Paul said that the Spirit does what? Leads us to the place where we do what? Cry out, Abba. Do you know what the same thing means to cry out, Abba? I have one God, the Lord my God. I have no other gods. The Spirit leads me to the place where my heart cries out, I have one God, the Lord my God. I have no other gods. There's one guy who can give me the comfort and the peace and the love and the joy that I need. There's one guy who can clothe upon the shame of my nakedness, the Lord my God, Abba. And so Paul describes the ministry of the Spirit as him leading to you the place where you have one God. You cry out, Abba, when you need life. Jesus comes and says that he, he didn't come to speak of himself. 
The ministry he had that Jesus came to the earth with wasn't to tell you about himself. He says his ministry was to declare the Father. I didn't come to speak of myself. The Father hath given me commandment, and the commandment he gave me was to declare him. Well, Jesus says, I'm going to send one after me that's like unto me, even the Comforter. And what he's saying there is, listen, I'm going to send one after me. He's going to have the same ministry as me. He's going to come into the earth to reveal the Father to you. He's going to comfort you, your mortal body, with the, the presence of the Father. Jesus says the Spirit won't speak of themselves. I mean, we get into the church often, and we speak so much about the Holy Spirit. And we talk about the Holy Spirit, but Jesus said the Holy Spirit don't speak of themselves. That it guides you into whatsoever things were revealed in Jesus. Well, what was revealed in Jesus? The Father. So what does the Spirit come to do? Show you the Father. So that you could be refreshed. Dwelling in a mortal body by the presence of the Father. And so what did God do? What did Paul say God did? Paul says God saw we couldn't see him with us. And in fact, even when God came into the earth, the Christ, the Son of God, came into the earth and entered into the trauma that we saw every day, we concluded God ain't there. So we were never going to be calling out to God when we're in the middle of trauma because we conclude a person who's in the middle of the trauma don't have God there. And so Paul comes and says, God, come to heal our blindness. The way he healed our blindness is he showed up and condemned death inside of the body of Jesus' resurrection so that we could have eyes to see God with us. And he doesn't just come and tell us a fancy saying, but then he pours out the spirit that is himself. I mean, the Holy Spirit is described in the Old Testament as the presence of God. The fire would come down into the temple, the presence of God. The theophany of God, it was described as the presence. It says, oh, the Spirit is poured out. And you know what the Spirit is? The Father himself. It's the Father's presence. And the Spirit is poured out, the Father's presence. And the reason why the Spirit is poured out is to show you God with you, having raised you up out of the grave, never to die again. And that causes the righteousness of the law to be fulfilled in you, which is the righteous thing the law said a person could do is Abba. The righteous thing you can do. If you want to say, what is the righteous thing you can do? You can commit your desire for peace and love and joy and comfort and life into the hands of the Father. That's what the law always said. The law told you about the work of God in order that you might have one God, the Lord your God. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone. Manna on the ground, no matter where I go. That's what the law was telling us. Because we would walk up on a rock and we would think we don't have what we need. And then God would bring honey out of the rock. We, I thirst. And then God would bring water out of the rock. I need provision for food. And then he would rain down the bread from life. The bread of life from heaven. Manna. And what that was trying to tell us is that God's with you. He is what you need. He's your comfort. He's your peace. He's your love. He's your joy. And when you saw that in the law, what it was supposed to do inside of you is where you no longer look to your own works for life. But rather you cried out, Abba, into your hands I commit my life. That's the righteousness of the law being fulfilled in you. I said that all real fast. Did that make any sense? I, I keep, I circle about though, right? It's like I drive real fast by and I'm like, look, 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 look. And you're like, look, look, look. and then I swing back around. <laughs> you see that? God wanted you, he wanted your heart to connect with him when you need comfort. When you need love, when you need peace, when you need joy. He knew your heart could never connect with him unless you could see him there with comfort in his hand. And so God showed up in the man Jesus, condemned death in the body of Jesus, so we could see God with us. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us, everlasting Father. And then the Spirit is poured out into the earth. That's what it means to walk after the Spirit, man. It's not talking about what you're going to do. Walking after the Spirit is you see God with you. 
That's the comfort you need. And you connect with him. Whether good times, the good, the bad, or the ugly. The Spirit will intercede in your heart and will cause you to see the Father. And you'll be comforted with the presence of God in that place. And your flesh, your mortal body, will be quieted. It's difficult to live in a mortal body. It is. It's difficult, man. It really is. It's easy to feel weakness when you're dwelling in a mortal body. God come to give you times of refreshing by ministering his presence to you. Does that make it all okay? We'll finish with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies <laughs> by his spirit that dwells in you. How will he make alive your mortal body that has death in it? By his spirit that dwells in you. How will his spirit quicken your mortal body that has death on the outside of it? How will the spirit do that? Showing you the father with you. Then you connect with the father is with me. He has not abhorred me in my affliction. His face isn't hid from me, but he hears me when I cry out to him, meaning he's one step ahead of me. He's already sending comfort. That will mortify the deeds of the body. Because now the body won't see a need to swing in the action to try to give itself comfort. Because the body will see the comfort I need is in the hand of God. And the body will see the hand of God stretched forth towards them. And that mortifies the deeds of the body. And the moment that body can be mortified, just like the Sabbath year, that body rests. What happens is, is the spirit quickens it, makes it alive with the life of God. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh. We're not debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. We no longer live in a life where we're enslaved by our flesh's desire for comfort. And we're all the time taken captive by our flesh's desire for comfort, where we're now mixing our desire for comfort, not with the faith that was revealed in Jesus, but we're mixing our desire for comfort with our own strength. We're no longer debtors to that system where we're busy trying to clothe ourselves with peace and love and joy. We're busy trying to set ourselves from the, the shame that comes when we feel fear. But man, we're living after the Spirit. We see God. God showed up, condemned death in the flesh. There's God. Oh, but where's God now? And the Spirit comes in the earth to show us there's God. That's why the Spirit's called the Comforter. Because he is the father with you, always. That's why Jesus said it was better for him to go. I mean, here I am, been walking with you externally. And even though I've been with you, how long have I been with you, Philip? And you say, show me the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. So Jesus would come and say, yeah, I could dwell with you, but that clearly ain't getting it done. So I'm going to do a work that will manifest the father in the earth. And as a man, I will have the righteousness of the law fulfilled in me, which is I will have one God, the Lord my God, even in the midst of the darkness of the cross, and I will commit my desire for life into the hands of the Father. And then the Spirit of the Father can be poured out into the earth now because there's a human that had one God, the Lord his God, and then that Spirit can dwell in you and can comfort you with the presence of the Father. And just as I could say, the Father is in me and I'm in the Father, you will live all the days of your life saying, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Hallelujah. That will mortify the deeds of your body. You ain't trying to father your own life if you see God with you fathering your life. You ain't trying to give birth to comfort yourself if you see the Father with you giving birth to comfort in you. You think I'm a little excited about life? I think the reason why I'm so excited about life is because I've been overrun with death. Like, I've seen it. I died. And not just in the spiritual sense. I've had my life completely overrun with death. And so I'm passionate for life, for people to experience life. And I'm passionate against that which brings death. That's how the Spirit, it says, the Spirit, it says, we through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body. Don't say you mortify the deeds of the body. It says that we. Through what? Through seeing the Spirit manifesting the Father. That mortifies the deeds of the body. What are the deeds of the body? Well, you have it twofold. The first deed of the body is like Adam trying to clothe himself. 
The second deed of the body is that when you try to clothe yourself with life from a body that's dying or has death in it, you're going to bring forth the works of the flesh. The Spirit puts those things to death. It puts your flesh to rest, and it puts the fruit of death to death in your life. It crucifies it. It crucifies the flesh and the lust thereof. Jesus' flesh wasn't just crucified on the cross physically. There was a figurative crucifixion of his flesh. And the crucifixion and the lust that were part of his flesh, the crucifixion of his flesh and the lust thereof for life came because he saw the Father is with me. <laughs> that same crucifixion is trying to come to our house. But man, we hear the word crucifixion and we're trying to hide. Rather like Peter said, well, then, Lord, crucify me ten times. When you see what it's really about. Spirit mortifies the deeds of the body by comforting our flesh with the presence of the Father. That's how it does it. Does that make sense? Y'all understand that? That's how God gives birth to abundance. Jesus said he came that we might have the abundant life, a peace that can't be put to death, a joy that can't be put to death. And he saw the abundant life comes out of us seeing God there. And so he said, I got to show these guys the father. But listen, he's like, there's a problem because sin comes and says the father ain't there in the midst of trauma. So I got to show them the father even in the midst of the trauma. Because intimacy with the Father, even in the midst of the trauma, produces abundance. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 23 would come and say, The Lord is with me, shepherding my life. I lack nothing. My cup runneth over. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see what the psalmist is saying? Abundance came out of the heart of the psalmist. When? When his arms and his legs were being pulled. When the bulls of Bashan compassed him about and were mocking him and devouring him. He says, out of that place, abundance came forth. The reason abundance came forth is because I saw God's not a poor in me. God's not looking at me naked and running away from me. It wasn't God that ran away from Adam when Adam was naked. And so God's not running away from me in my nakedness. Oh, he's, his face isn't hid from me. Oh, he's with me right here to shepherd my life. So then he starts connecting with Abba. Abundance came forth. And even in the place of still being nailed to the tree, he could say, I lack nothing, my cup runneth over. That's in a life that can't be put to death. That's a peace that can't be put to death. God wants us to have a peace that can't be put to death. We keep begging for a peace that can die. Or maybe it was just me. I was always begging for a peace that could die. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Jesus was filled with abundance for this simple reason. Not because he's better than you. Not because he's smarter than you. He was filled with abundance for this one reason. He saw the Father was with him. And he looked to the Father. He connected with the Father in the place of deep hurt deep trauma just out of that connection it wasn't well out of this connection then the father got rid of the cross and then he felt abundance no 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 because the kind of abundance that god's busy with can't die and so what he did was he just saw the father is with me the father doth work the scripture would use scriptural language and said he shall not suffer his holy one to see corruption neither will he leave his life in death just out of that abundance came forth in him. The Spirit interceded in Jesus' heart. Doing what? Showing him the Father. The Spirit mortified Jesus' flesh on the cross. And he was quickened, animated with the life of God, even in the midst of death. That's how God made foolish the wisdom of the world. Because here's a guy who had nothing. And out of him came gushing the abundant life. Mm. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, that you're with us, that you're in us. Just thank you, Lord, that uh, 
you're, you're, you're leading us to the place, you're popping open our eyes, and that sometimes, even if we're like that guy that says, I see people as trees, and that sometimes we see you foggily like a tree, we just thank you, Father, that just like Jesus recreated eyes in those people from the dust, that you're recreating in us eyes right now, that the eyes of our understanding are being enlightened with your presence, that you're working daily to show us yourself, that you're working daily to cleanse the image, the image we have of you in our hearts, that you see all the places where our hearts struggle to see you, and that you're working diligently to heal our sight. Thank you, Father. We need sight, Father. We need sight. Lord, into your hands we commit our desire for sight. Into your strength we commit our desire for sight, that we might see you with us all the days of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Y'all are awesome. Thank you so much. God is good.